Hey everyone, my name is Adam Barfoot and welcome to episode 47 of the Counseling and Functional Fitness Podcast. I am a licensed professional counselor and I'm also a CrossFit Level 2 trainer. The Counseling and Functional Fitness Podcast focuses on the integration of mental health and fitness. In this episode, I discuss lessons I learned from competing in a recent functional fitness competition in Nashville, Tennessee. I discuss mental composure, the importance of managing our thoughts, mental fortitude, the helpfulness of mantras and strong reminders, reminding ourselves of our inner strength, and learning through difficulty what we cannot learn any other way. If you have been enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating and review. I'd greatly appreciate that. I'm a licensed professional counselor working in private practice in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I meet with clients in person at my office in Chattanooga and people anywhere in Tennessee via telehealth. I enjoy helping my clients build resilience, hope, and courage in their lives. I work with adults and teenagers who are seeking to improve their responses to stress, anxiety, and adversity. My specialties include helping people improve their emotional intelligence, helping people strengthen their recovery from addiction, and working with athletes who are looking to improve their mental health and their performance. Improving our mental health directly affects our performance, whether we are on the sports field, in the gym, at home, or our workplace. I believe that we are all capable of great things, and I would be honored to be a part of your journey of healing and growth. If you would like to meet with me for therapy, you can follow the link to my Psychology Today profile, which is in the description of this podcast episode, and you can click the Email Me button on that website to ask any questions you have about how I can help you on your journey or to schedule a therapy session with me. In January 2024, I competed in a local functional fitness competition. There were eight events over two days. In this episode, I'm sharing what I learned through the stories of the competition, my mental approach, strategy, training, and performance. The competition took place in an arena in Nashville, Tennessee. This episode is all about how I processed, performed, and focused on growing stronger mentally and physically. Event one of the competition consisted of toes to bar, walking lunges with a 50 pound dumbbell, box step overs with the dumbbell, more walking lunges with the dumbbell, and then the workout ended with toes to bar. As I was watching the heats before mine, I realized that people were finishing the workout, whereas I, in my training, had hit the time cap before finishing the dumbbell box step overs. I was surprised at this because athletes were doing big sets of toast bar, where from what I've seen, most athletes do smaller sets of toast bar to stay consistent rather than doing a big set and then having to do single reps at a time later on in the workout due to fatigue. Knowing that I have the capacity to start with a big set of toast bar, while also knowing that this would lead to muscle fatigue later on in the workout, as well as knowing how that fatigue would affect my ability on the lunges and dumbbell box stepovers, I had been planning to do consistent sets of three reps at a time on the toes-to-bar, and I altered that plan slightly so that I would do sets of four on the toes-to-bar. Three, two, one, go. I stuck to my plan of doing consistent sets of four on the toes-to-bar, 
I knew that other people in my heat would be done with the toast bar and on to the walking lunge before me, so I stuck to my plan and did not look around at the other athletes in my heat. I knew my plan. I knew I needed to stick to it to perform at my best potential, and that's exactly what I did. After I finished the toast bar, I started on the lunge. Lunges, historically for me, are a movement that is difficult due to tight hips and quads, and I knew I would be very sore in my glutes, hips, and quads after this workout. I did the first 100-foot walking lunge unbroken with the dumbbell on my shoulder and got right to work on the dumbbell box stepovers. When I had done this workout in training, I had to rest every two to four reps on the dumbbell box stepovers, which is a lot of times to set the dumbbell down and pick it back up, as well as time spent resting. I did 28 dumbbell box stepovers without resting during this event in the competition, then I set the dumbbell down before completing the final two dumbbell box stepovers and starting on the second 100-foot walking lunge portion of the event. I did this lunge unbroken as well, which I was impressed and surprised by. I got to work on the toast bar, completing 16 out of 24 reps before the time cap. This was the first workout in quite a while where I was able to be fully present, focus fully on the task at hand, and not talk myself through what was going on at the moment. The way the competition floor was set up for this event, athletes went from their starting mat on one end of the floor to the rig for the toaster bar, then lunge 100 feet straight to the box to complete the dumbbell box stepovers, then lunge 100 feet straight back to the rig for the toaster bar. So it was, a very, it was very straightforward and laid out well. There wasn't much thinking or remembering to have to do about what movement was next or what I needed to do before moving on to the next movement in the event. Get to work until the work is done or the time cap comes was the name of the game in this event. Managing muscle fatigue on the toast bar especially came into play later on in this event. I pushed myself to my potential and I knew that was all I could do. Just as not every therapist is the right fit for every client, and not every client is the right fit for every therapist, I as a therapist can give my best effort with my clients, and that's what's in my power to do. I cannot try to be a chameleon to try to fit the needs of every possible presenting concern that a client might have, or every type of personality. There are types of clients with types of presenting concerns and reasons for coming to therapy that I work very well with, and over the years of being a therapist, I've gotten a much better understanding of this. It's crucial for therapists and clients to understand this about therapy. No two therapists work in exactly the same way, and no two clients present in exactly the same way. Being versatile in my therapeutic approach, I meet my clients where they are and do the best work I can with them. Back to event one. I was proud of how I did in this event, especially because I made it so much further in the competition than I did when I had done this workout in my training. I was proud of my mental composure to stick with my plan after seeing other athletes have very different strategies than mine. In competitive functional fitness, it's important to stick to your own plan if you know it will allow you to perform at your best potential. If, in our private mental space, we're competing against ourselves from yesterday, then it's not about what anyone else might do or can do, but it's about doing the best that we are capable of in that moment. 
If our plan for a workout will allow us to reach our full potential in that workout, we don't need to drastically change our plan if that will mean anything other than our full potential and the best possible score we can get. Our private mental space can be a very pleasant place or a very unpleasant place to be. Our deepest and innermost thoughts and feelings that we choose to share with a select number of people deserves to always be respected. James Allen, in his book called As a Man Thinketh, says, A man's mind may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. If we want to think well and to use our private mental space to our advantage, we need to plant seeds that will lead to growth, which is a reason that having great people in our lives to pour into us and for us to pour into them and that they can help us cultivate the right seeds is so important. We all need help from time to time in managing our emotions and thought lives. If we feel that our private mental space is typically a pleasant place to be, then we can continue planting, cultivating, and harvesting those good, beautiful, and pleasant seeds, trees, and fruits. If we feel that our private mental space is a miserable place to be, it might be time to seek help through therapy or confide in another trusted person in our lives about the struggles we're encountering in our minds. After this event, it was time to eat and focus on recovery while managing the incoming soreness from the lunges because event two was all about the legs. Event two was the ruck. It was a two-lap run with a 30-pound weighted ruck backpack. The run was 2.2 miles total with some very steep uphill climbs and a few downhills. I had been looking forward to the grind that I knew this workout would be. In the athlete briefing the night before the competition started, we athletes were told that we could wear headphones during the ruck run if we chose to. I told myself I would not wear headphones so that I could be outdoors, running, wearing the ruck, and see what happened in my mind during the run. I was looking forward to this event. Since they announced the ruck run, I had been implementing more running into my training, as well as running with weighted vests, because I did not have access to a ruck. I had major mental victories in my weighted running training, running multiple times for 30 minutes without breaking my run to walk. In my opinion, running is a special test of mental fortitude and willingness to endure discomfort while creating and discovering the strength to continue moving forward. It's easy on a long run to mentally check out and begin to walk. But I knew that if I was to get the most out of this event mentally, I needed to train and therefore improve my ability to be in the midst of discomfort and continue moving forward, as well as creating and discovering my inner strength to continue on and finish well. I told myself multiple times during my running training that it did not matter to me how fast I ran, it only mattered to me that for these training pieces, I kept running and did not walk. I was again surprised by my ability to run for 30 minutes without any walking. That's a special part about training, is that we can surprise ourselves by the abilities that exist within us. Our job is to continue cultivating those abilities, as well as to access them when the time is right. Sure, we can surprise ourselves in the future by how much weight we will be able to lift or what we can accomplish, but the truth is that we can surprise ourselves in our current state with the strength fortitude, and willingness to endure discomfort that we currently carry with us. It exists within all of us. 
It's not so much of how much time, but the relative perceived discomfort that we are willing to endure. When I picked up my ruck backpack from the judge's table to put it on, it immediately felt heavier than I imagined that it would. I had done running in my training with a 29-pound weighted vest, but this 30-pound ruck backpack just felt much, much heavier. I wasn't very concerned about this, as I had been preparing mentally for unknown elements of competition. Ahead of time, in all of the functional fitness competitions I've done, few things are completely as I imagined they would be. For example, the rower could have a sticking point, the floor might have lumps and not be a completely flat surface, the weight plates are slightly different than the plates at the gym where I train, etc. Things in life and in competitive fitness might never be exactly 100% as we would prefer them to be. Even with things not being ideal, we can still perform at our best. The weight felt heavier than I expected it to in the ruck. That wasn't going to stop me from running with it. Fear, worry, and concern could have taken over in that moment for me, but I was not about to let that happen. In that moment, I had a choice to make. I had feelings of fear to overcome, and making the choice to overcome that fear is exactly what I did. All of the athletes in my heat had about 10 minutes until our heat started, but at that time, we did not know that. I decided to keep my ruck on so that I could get used to it as much as possible before we started the event. I moved around for a bit, made sure the shorter straps of my ruck were tight so that the straps or that so the ruck wouldn't be moving up and down on my back too much, and I reminded myself that the straps of my mind were intelligently cultivated so that I wouldn't start doubting whether or not I could do this. I knew those types of destructive and deconstructive and unhelpful thoughts would not help me in this moment. Thoughts of concern about the discomfort I was entering into were popping into my mind. After a little game of whack-a-mole and whack-a-doubt, I knew I was ready. A volunteer of the competition explained the entire course to us, but without being able to see the course in my mind's eye, I had trouble following what he was saying. I did not know exactly what I was in for, but I knew I was ready. The volunteer gave us the 10-second countdown. Three, two, one, go. I was confused and again surprised by how fast everyone in my heat ran right from the word go. I was near the back of my heat from about 10 seconds in to the ruck run, but I knew better than to start out too hot trying to keep up with the athletes in my heat only to make my heart rate skyrocket and not be able to keep that pace. I knew what would work for me to perform at my best potential, and I knew I needed to stick with that. There was a hill at about a 45 degree angle, about 150 meters into the race. It was steep enough and there had been enough rain during the days before the competition that I could see the shoe prints of where athletes in earlier heats had taken a step up the hill and their foot slipped down, tearing up the grassy earth beneath them. I made sure to avoid stepping in those footprints on my way. Someone had learned the hard way that those spots were slippery, loose, and not stable. I did not need to repeat their footprint and slide my way down the hill or fall down. No need to repeat other people's slips and missteps. If they slipped by stepping there, I would too, so I avoided stepping in those footprints of the slip marks on the hill. I got to the top of the hill and started a slow run. There was another hill soon after, although this next hill was paved and not as steep, 
Yet it was steady and a longer climb. I had run for 30 minutes without walking in my training, but I had to make the decision to walk the hills during the ruck event. Without headphones to distract me from how heavy the ruck was, my sore legs from event one, and concern about the discomfort that would come during the ruck, I had, again, a decision to make. I could walk the entire ruck, which I refused to do, or I could run. I decided to pick up my pace on the run, and although nearly everyone in my heat was well past me, I knew there were many mental victories to be won in the next 25 minutes with this ruck on my back. The struggle to continue on is one we should not overlook. It was my choice to compete as well as my desire to continue the competition. I asked for this. I registered for this. And this was the time to put on a show of mentality, grit, and perseverance for myself. I was both the captain and the crew, as well as for my family and friends who came to support me throughout the weekend. They came to support me, but the work was to be done, and it was up to me to do it. They were with me, but I could not hear their cheers anymore at this point in the rock event. I would hear their cheers again soon when I finished my first lap and started my second lap, but this was the point of the ruck event when I had to wage war on and win my mental battles. I chose to commit to running on the downhills and the mostly flat parts of the course, and I would walk up the hills. I found myself continually reminding myself to change my mind about doubting my abilities and committing to the part of me that believed I could do this. If it was to be, it was up to me. Of course, no one could run the race for me. It was up to me to run, to withstand the difficulty and discomfort, and to finish this race. It was my choice and my commitment. No one could run this race for me, and for that, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my ability to run with the 30-pound weighted ruck backpack. I'm thankful for the ability to test my body's capabilities and abilities, and therefore test my mind as well. In strengthening my body, I also strengthen my mind. I'm thankful for the ability to explore the depths that exist in choosing to do hard things. When we strengthen our body, we have the opportunity to strengthen our mind too. Our mind adapts by becoming stronger when we strengthen our bodies. This does not happen automatically or without effort, training, and practice. I knew I had prepared not only for the physical aspects of performing in this competition, but during all of my warm-ups before every event in this competition, I asked myself the question, what are you going to tell yourself when this event gets difficult? In that way, I prepared my mind for what was coming as well. I'm thankful for the ability to reflect and grow from my experiences in competition. I'm thankful to be able to practice and implement what I call future-oriented thinking, which I conceptualize as thinking ahead and expecting adversity. And in doing so, we prepare ourselves to respond thoughtfully and respond well to the expected adversity. It won't always be helpful to only visualize everything going smoothly or exactly as we want it to go, because the world is not perfect. Our in-the-moment preparation might not be perfect. We might not have the perfect warm-up that we hoped for. We can still perform at our best if instead of getting upset or down on ourselves about this, we adapt and overcome.
We can do the best with what we have and make the most out of what we have by utilizing the mental skills we've developed in our training to help prepare us for the task we are about to do or the task we are currently in. Of course, warming up before an athletic event or any kind of performance is very important, but we can still perform greatly without a perfect warm-up. If we wait until conditions are perfect, we might be waiting for the rest of our lives. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to be found waiting for some undefined time to give my best effort. We should wait when we need to, especially when we have the opportunity to grow stronger mentally by waiting. But again, if we wait until certain conditions are absolutely perfect, we might miss our time to shine. The rock felt heavier than I thought it would. With all of the 30 pounds on my back rather than the weight split between my chest and my back with the weight vests as I had in my training runs, it was more difficult to run. Regardless of this, the time to perform was now. It was of utmost importance for me to focus on the task at hand, the one happening in the moment I was in, rather than spending my time and mental energy focusing on what could have been different in the first workout earlier that day or by focusing on the events to come. The here and now, the present moment, is where our lives happen and it's where our power is. I knew that I could not change the past and could not control the future, but my control and ability to change anything exists in the here and now. This present moment is where all of my power is. Let's get this right here and right now, I thought to myself. As I finished the first lap, I ran by my family who was there at the competition supporting me, encouraging me, and cheering loud loudly for me, which I welcomed. I appreciate them more than I can explain. As I finished the first lap and started the second lap, a thought came to mind that I repeated to myself out loud while I was running. That thought was, I had the first lap for breakfast, and now I'm hungry for lunch. This humor and also readiness to attack the second lap helped me continue on. The importance of putting one foot in front of the other again and again cannot be overstated. Whether we're competing in a ruck run at a fitness competition or we're experiencing adversity in our lives, we make it through adversity and other difficulty not by attacking all the steps we have to take at once. We strengthen our body and strengthen our mind by facing each moment we're in with courage, again and again. Facing one moment at a time with courage is how we grow from any experience. We don't need to get ahead of ourselves. We do need to break things down into manageable, actionable, and attainable steps. That's how growth happens. I reminded myself of this tightened the shoulder straps of my ruck again, and started on the second lap of the ruck run. It was on the second lap of the ruck run that I created an idea that was new to me, which is, we learn through difficulty what we cannot learn any other way. This idea of mine is related to a quote from Eric Greitens in his book called Resilience. He says, we don't know what greatness we're capable of until we're tested. As I came around just over halfway through the second lap, I wanted to run to the finish line. I knew I had at least half a mile left. I took account of how my legs were feeling, aware of the fatigue, and told myself I was ready. I ran, ran, and continued running and taking as big of breaths as I could until I reached the finish line. There was a volunteer after the end of the course to take the sandbags out of the ruck backpack for us. 
She asked me, how was it? Still gasping for breath, I said, it was awesome, as I smiled. She looked very surprised by my answer. I imagine she had gotten many different responses from athletes who had gone before me. In that moment, I felt incredibly accomplished. I felt as if there was nothing I couldn't do in this competition, considering my many mental victories on the ruck run. In that way, and many other ways, the ruck run was amazing. Event three was a two-score event, this time meaning that there would be two workouts back-to-back. The first workout in this event was a nine-minute AMRAP, which means as many rounds and reps as possible of double-unders, wall balls, and pull-ups. This was followed by two minutes of rest. And then in event four, we had calories on the ski erg and reps of deadlift, shoulder to overhead, and hang power cleans with a 135-pound barbell. The second part of this event had an eight-minute time cap. Event three was one event of the competition that I was not looking forward to. Double-unders typically spike my heart rate and so do wall balls. I knew that I would be entering into discomfort very soon in event three. Three, two, one, go. I moved through this event as best I could. I chose to do manageable sets on the double-unders so as to not completely spike my heart rate, and I did sets of five reps at a time on the wall balls, which I knew would be best for me. And I also knew that other athletes would be doing some of the sets of 20 wall balls unbroken, as I imagined most athletes would be doing bigger sets than five reps at a time. This was all right with me. Again, I knew I needed to stick to my plan of what would allow me to get my best possible score in this event. I slugged through the double-unders and wall balls as I felt the fatigue from events one and two wearing on me. I also knew I needed to keep in mind that there was another event coming two minutes after the end of this event. I knew I needed to manage my fatigue and keep myself together mentally to perform at my best. It would have been easy, and I felt this pull, to get frustrated and upset and let the fatigue of the day's workouts overwhelm me. I reminded myself that this was an opportunity to get as far as I could in this workout. Comparing my performance to my training, I felt a few minutes into this event that I might not get as far as I did in my training. Rather than expend all my energy and effort not only to get a few more reps, but also to spike my heart rate and fatigue to levels that I would not be able to recover from fast enough for the next event, I played it safer here in order to do better on the next event. This is always the challenge in having two events back-to-back with a short interval of rest in between. Athletes in this situation, just as I did, have the choice as to whether to blow themselves up in the first event and pay for that with a lesser score in the next event, or to conserve at least some energy for the second event. This is exactly where strategy is paramount for athletes to consider. We can consider things such as, what are my strengths in these events? What can I do that will work most to my advantage? What of my strengths can I use here and now to perform at my best? What in my fitness can I rely on to help me in the second event while I want to do my best on the first part of the event too? Event three eventually came to an end, and although I knew I did not set a personal record for this event compared to my training, I knew I did the best I could given the fatigue I was experiencing and that this score did not reflect my absolute full potential, although it did reflect my potential in that moment. 
when we truly give our best effort that we are capable of in the moment, it might not be the score we wanted, but it's the score we got. And sometimes the best thing we can do is to keep the lessons we learned, but put that non-ideal performance behind us. Because there might be something coming very soon that demands our complete attention such as event four coming up two minutes after event three. Event four was on the second part of the competition floor, so I signed the judge's scorecard from event three, mentally and literally leaving my score on that piece of paper rather than carrying the weight of it with me to the other part of the competition floor. I took a few as deep of breaths as I could, walked down to where event four would soon be starting, checked in with my judge there, listened to his instructions, and mentally strapped in to embrace the discomfort I knew I would be soon experiencing again. Three, two, one, go. I stepped up to the ski erg in event four and started pulling, although not as hard as I could. I knew that in order to perform at my best in this event, I needed to pace the ski erg calories. As I did this workout in my training, I discovered through trial and error that the calories on the ski erg and the early reps on the barbell could be a trap for the more challenging reps on the barbell a few minutes into this event. Going as hard as I could on the ski erg early in the workout for me meant that I would get exhausted too early in the workout. In my training, I felt recovered enough after the two minutes of rest to basically sprint the first part on the ski erg, which skyrocketed my heart rate and made the barbell reps of the shorter to overhead far too difficult for me to manage. In the event, there was a set of 20 reps of shorter to overhead. When I did this event in my training, I was absolutely worn out and very fatigued, and so the most reps at a time I felt that I could do on the shorter to overhead was two reps. That's 10 sets of two reps to get to 20 total shoulder to overhead reps, which also means 10 power cleans to get the barbell from the ground to the front rack position. Those reps add up too. In the competition, I was able to strategize better and well enough to the point where I did sets of three reps at a time on the shoulder to overhead, which was a big win for me, both physically and mentally. This enabled me to get a much, much better score in the event during the competition than I did in my training, which again is a victory achieved for me, physically and mentally. These two events in particular I had not been looking forward to because they were both so much of a mental and physical grind and were also both relatively short workouts. But I did think that having these events back-to-back -back were a great way to test athletes' work capacity with a very short time to recover in between events. I hung on to the barbell as much as I could while taking breaks that I knew would allow me to keep accumulating reps. I was hurting during this one, experiencing a kind of discomfort and fatigue that I had not experienced in the competition so far. I reminded myself that rest was coming and that this was the last event of the day, and that empowered me to hang on to the barbell for six reps of the hang power cleans, which was just four reps short of finishing the workout before the time cap. This was another event that I got a personal record on compared to my training, and I was glad that I had this left in the tank to wrap up day one of this competition. I was proud of my effort on day one. 
I knew that this competition being two days would not only test my body and my ability to recover in short amounts of time, but that it would also test my ability to persevere through increasing amounts of fatigue and discomfort as the competition weekend went on. It was time to eat, recover, sleep, and get ready for three more events coming on day two. I was able to talk with my family members throughout the weekend about what I was experiencing and thinking, which was greatly helpful for me. My family enjoys cheering loudly for me at my competitions, which I greatly appreciate. Out of all the people there yelling and cheering, I can hear every word that they say. It's incredibly encouraging to have people believe in me and cheer for me. People cheering for us and believing in our abilities is a powerful thing. It can provide us with strength when we are tired and questioning if we can continue on. This is something I've implemented in much of my training. If it's been a long or stressful day or week and I'm worn out and not excited to train, I imagine the encouraging words or phrases a family member of mine would offer to me if they were there with me and knew what I was experiencing. When I'm exhausted, this often proves to be incredibly helpful for me. In my training, when I'm in the middle of a workout and feeling the fatigue that has set in, I imagine what my family members might say if they were there training for me in that moment. I imagine how it would affect my effort and how it would help me improve my thoughts about my effort and what I was doing. It pushes me to work harder, to lean in a bit more to the discomfort and keep fighting for progress until the work is done. When we are exhausted, it's important to prove to ourselves that we can continue on, that we are often capable of much more than we give ourselves credit for. This can be done through how we think about what it is that we are doing. We can visualize each rep that we do as a, as a vote in the direction of possibility, each rep being a step forward in our progress, helping ourselves believe that we are capable helping ourselves believe that we do have what it takes, helping ourselves believe that we can accomplish what we set our minds to, helping ourselves believe that we can conquer the task that has presented itself to us. We learn through difficulty what we cannot learn any other way. We learn through testing ourselves what we cannot learn through ease and attentionless state. Viktor Frankl in his book called Man's Search for Meaning says, what man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. We all need something worth striving toward and struggling for. We need a worthy adversary, as some might say. I arrived at the competition venue the next morning a little before 8 a.m. It was time to get to work on day two. From the challenges and events that day one presented to me, my legs were very sore. With the support of my family and my processing through with them the challenges from day one, my morale was very high. In my mind, the real competition started on day two. Anyone can come out hot in the first one or two events in a competition with adequate tra training, but the real fatigue and the heat of battle sets in on day two when everyone's legs were sore and people were worn out. I was tired too, and I knew this would be the case. I had prepared for this. I made sure to adequately hydrate and get the nutrition I needed between events on day one and after the events of the day were done. 
I had done a two-day competition before, and it was the second most difficult athletic feat I've accomplished, only second to the half marathon I ran in 2021. In episode 25 of this podcast, I shared lessons I learned from that half marathon. I highly recommend listening to that episode. Endurance events have much to teach us if we are willing to be their student. Day two also had a lot to teach me, and I was ready to be its student, give my best effort, and receive its lessons. Event five was a couplet of thrusters and rope climbs. 21 15 9 reps of thrusters with a 95 pound barbell and 7 5 3 reps of rope climbs with a 5 minute time cap. It was a sprint. I warmed up as best I could considering how sore my quads were from day one's squatting, running, and double unders. I was very sore, but that was not going to stop me. I had difficulty getting into my mental performance zone while I was warming up for this event. I did not feel as invested and as ready to attack as I had been for all of day one. I was tired, fatigue was setting in, as I knew it would. However, the fatigue would not have the final word. I would. I knew I had the choice of whether to focus on how sore, fatigued, and exhausted I was, or I could focus on making the most out of the opportunities that were right in front of me. That's what I wanted for myself, so that's what I committed to do. Three, two, one, go. I stuck to what I knew would be manageable sets for me on the first set of thrusters and got to work on the set of seven rope climbs. Coming down the rope after touching the target height is difficult for me as it is for many people. I chose to come down grabbing the rope hand under hand rather than dropping to the ground from high up on the rope. This fatigues my forearms and grip more than dropping from higher on the rope, but I think it is not worth the risk of rolling my ankle on the ground after dropping from higher up on the rope. I chose what I chose. I felt safer doing it, even though it took longer and fatigued my forearms more. I knew that I would be fatigued either way, so I didn't th think about this too much. I made my decision and stuck to it. I got through the set of seven rope climbs and made it through nine of the 15 thrusters before the time cap. I was proud of myself for this performance. I was not sure how this event would go for me, given the heavy fatigue that a big set of rope climbs can cause for my grip and forearms. I did, once again, what I knew would work for me to, for me to get my best possible performance. My family members encouraged me after this event, which is always helpful, but was especially helpful this time given how the fatigue and exhaustion had set in for me before this event. I was thankful for their support and for another personal record in this event. It was time to recover more and to get ready for the next event. I had some very helpful body work done, mainly helping my quads recover and get loose. I ate and I felt reinvigorated for event six. I talked with a dear friend of mine who came to watch me compete. It was so nice to have meaningful interaction and conversation with him. We've shared many special moments in life and conversation over the years we've known each other, and that day we did the same. It was so special to have my family and this friend there, with whom I have reciprocal care for, and from them, to watch me, cheer for me, and to converse with throughout both days of competition. Event six had a buy-in of rowing, and then there was a couplet of burpees over the rower and squats with a 150-pound sandbag. Then, bar muscle-ups and handstand walking for the athletes who complete all of the burpees and sandbag squats before the 10-minute time cap. 
This event was the final event to be announced before the competition. It was announced about two weeks before the competition. Thankfully, the gym I train at and coach at has plenty of sandbags, including one that weighs 150 pounds. I wanted to get as familiar as possible with the 150 pound sandbag before the competition weekend. So I trained with it five total times in the time between when this workout was announced and competition weekend. The first time I went to train with this sandbag, I literally could not pick it up. I was not familiar with getting an odd object like this massive sandbag from the ground to up on my shoulder. I was frustrated, but I knew I had more chances to practice before the competition weekend. I did some other training that day and returned to the sandbag the next day. The competition event contained 50 total burpees over the rower and 40 total sandbag squats. The next time I visited the sandbag, it was a massive struggle to get it to my shoulder, but I was able to do it. I completed three total squats with this sandbag that day. I felt confused this time as to how I was going to manage this massive sandbag on the competition floor. I was glad that I had more time to practice and train. I returned to the sandbag a few days later with a desire to figure out how I can get more than three total reps with it. The next time I trained with the sandbag, I got through 14 reps of sandbag squats in the format of how the competition event was. It wasn't 40, but it sure was better than three. I felt that I could definitely do more than this, and I was ready to prove that during the competition. I returned to the sandbag a few days before my competition, and I could not get it to my shoulder. In the moment, I was not aware of what I wasn't doing that I had been doing before, which after the moment had passed, I realized I was not moving my hands fast enough under the sandbag when I reached hip extension. This could have hurt my confidence and caused feelings of panic, but I knew that just a few days prior, I had gotten 14 hard-earned reps, and I reminded myself that I was capable and that this was possible. I reflected on this time very much. I told many people that the gym's 150-pound sandbag and I had become close friends in the past few weeks, and I knew I wanted one more final touch to getting the sandbag to my shoulder. So when I was doing my final touches workout a few days before the competition, I got the sandbag out, used what I had learned during the past few weeks of wrestling with the sandbag every few days, and gained more confidence in my ability that I could get the sandbag to my shoulder. It felt nice and also comforting to do this just a few days before the competition, especially when what had just happened a few days before when I was not able to get the sandbag to my shoulder. Going back to event six, I was ready to put my lessons and hard work to use in this event. I was ready to prove to myself that I could not only move the sandbag, but that this possibly could be another workout for me to set a personal record on. Turns out that's exactly what I did. Three, two, one, go. I paced myself well on the row, knowing that I did not need to put maximum effort here remembering what was coming my way, and knowing that the 150 pound sandbag was waiting for me just a few feet away. I moved on to the first set of burpees after the row, pacing myself here too. I was thankful that I was able to hear my family members and friend cheering for me. After 10 burpees over the rower, it was time to meet this sandbag. I got my hands underneath it, got it to my waist level while I was in the bottom of a squat, and cleaned it to my shoulder with a big drive of my hips. I had been working. It was time to continue this work and find new depths that I was able to go to. 
I got six squats with the sandbag before putting it down. Then I took a few big breaths and I got it up to my shoulder again to finish out the set of 10 reps. Then it was back to the burpees. I was more fatigued by this point and my legs were feeling heavy. I made it back to the sandbag for more squats on the set of nine reps and I knocked these out too. I was feeling better, more energized, and more focused during this event than I had been when I was doing it in my training. It was time for me to put all of that to good use and continue accumulating reps. I ended up getting through the third set of burpees and into the third set of sandbag squats before the time cap, which surpassed my highest number of reps in my training by a significant amount. Another PR and more lessons learned. Whereas the furthest I had gotten in my training with this event was 14 reps of sandbag squats, I got well over 20 reps of sandbag squats in the event during the competition. This potential had been within my reach, and with the help of the competition atmosphere, I was able to rise above my previous efforts and do better than I ever had done before with the sandbag squats. I learned that I was capable of more than I previously thought I was. I learned that I was capable of withstanding the difficulty and continuing on when I was fatigued and exhausted. Perhaps the greatest lesson that I learned was how this applies to life and mental health, that we are capable of so much more than we typically think or give ourselves credit for. When we are pushed to the limits of our capabilities, we can find new limits that in the less stressful moments, situations, and environments, we may not have known that we possessed or were capable of. We learn through difficulty what we cannot learn any other way. We have more in the tank when we're exhausted. It's our choice as to whether or not we access that reserve of more. We can remember our reasons for wanting to take on the challenge in the first place. And we also need mantras, otherwise known to me as strong reminders of what we are here to do. When things are difficult and we encounter adversity, we need these strong reminders to help us continue on, to find strength when we feel as though we don't have any strength left to put to use, a strong reminder of what we are here to accomplish and what we are trying to conquer and achieve. These are concepts I reminded myself of when the fatigue was in the forefront of my attention. It's hard to look away when the fatigue is that much in the forefront of our minds. It's the feeling of not being able to see past what's right in front of us because we're so overwhelmed by what's right in front of us. This is where perspective is everything. If I was not able in that moment to remind myself of my strong reminder and my mantras, I could have been overcome and overwhelmed by the discomfort I was experiencing. I shifted my attention to remembering and knowing there was more left to do and brought to mind my mantras or strong reminders. My strong reminders for the weekend and my training leading up to the competition weekend were, I am strong, I am fit, I am capable. Strong reminders and mantras can help remind us of what we set out to do initially. They can also help us snap out of unhelpful, deconstructive, and destructive ways of thinking. Strong reminders wake us up to our purpose and they remind us of it. Strong reminders bring to mind our strength, drive, discipline, practice, and training. There's a great quote that says, train for war in times of peace. This is a key to training well. With my therapy clients, I often remind them to practice the mental skills and techniques that we talk about outside of times when they absolutely need them. The stronger 
our mental skills and techniques, as well as the more familiar we are with them, the more these skills will help us compared to if we only use them in situations where we feel that we desperately need them. We train mental skills outside of times of need so that the skills can be at our immediate disposal when we do feel that we absolutely need them. In the months of my training leading up to the competition, I visualized myself being on the starting line of the competition. I visualized hearing my family cheering for me. I visualized the fatigue I would be feeling. This was all greatly helpful in helping me accumulate mental reps of performing under pressure while I was getting the physical reps of the workout of the day. Train for war in times of peace. Eric Greitens, again in his book called Resilience, says, When we're struggling, we don't need a book in our hands. We need the right words in our minds. When things are tough, a mantra does more good than a manifesto. Mantras and strong reminders wake us up, help us remember, and help us continue on. They also give us something constructive, helpful, and powerful to give our attention to. They remind us of who we are trying to be, and in the process of that trying to be, we are, in fact, becoming more of the people we want to be. These strong reminders especially came to my event, my mind during the final event of the competition. Event 8 was 30 power snatches at 115 pounds for time, followed by 3 attempts at a max snatch in a 4 minute window. In my training, I had practiced one time with 2 reps every 15 seconds and a few single reps at the end, then started with a 165 pound power snatch, followed by squat snatches that I missed at 175 pounds and 185 pounds. The other time I had practiced this event, I did reps. I did three reps of the 115-pound power snatch every 15 seconds and a few single reps at the end, followed by squat snatches that I made at 165, 175, and 185. I was fired up after this workout in my training. The three reps at a time worked best for me in my training. For the max snatch, I was planning on starting at 165, then going to 175, and then to 185. It was the final event of the competition, and the final thing I would do on the competition floor for this time was attempt a heavy snatch, which I was very excited about. Three, two, one, go. I did sets of three reps at a time with the 115 barbell with a few breaths between each set. My heart rate did not spike out of control, which I was very glad about. This strategy worked well for me. In the past, 30 reps at 115 pounds would have been very challenging for me by the end, but due to lots of strength training and weightlifting, it was not too heavy or too many reps for me this time to complete. With no missed attempts, I finished the 30 reps at just over 2 minutes and 30 seconds, which was over 30 seconds faster than my previous personal record in my training when I had done sets of 3 reps every 15 seconds with some singles once I got super fatigued. It was nice to not get crushed by fatigue during the 30 reps because I had three more big reps coming. Typically in Olympic weightlifting, when athletes have three attempts in competition, lifters want their first attempt to be a weight that they know they can absolutely hit. For the second attempt, athletes want to reach for a weight that's challenging for them but also possible. For the third attempt, athletes typically aim high, especially if their first two attempts went well. This is how I went about selecting my weights on the competition floor during this event. 
I loaded the bar to 165 for my first attempt during the three attempts in a four-minute window to build to a max snatch. I got under the weight but did not stand it up. It felt relatively light, which is accurate given that I know I can hit that weight any day of the week. Given how light 165 felt, I knew that I could hit 185, so that's what I loaded my barbell to. I gave myself a good yell to get fired up and listened to my cheering section. Just like my first attempt, I got under the bar but did not stand it up. At this point in the event, my score was zero. If I missed my final attempt, my score for this portion of the event would remain a zero. I was aware of it, but I was not worried about it. It was me against myself out on the competition floor. I felt great, and I was even more fired up to lift heavy with my final attempt and my final time being on the competition floor for this competition. I told my judge I was loading the bar to 205, which I did, but then changed my mind and decided to go for a personal record attempt at 210. I was still fired up. I was ready. I knew I was capable of lifting this. That's what I told myself too. To put it a different way, I was keenly aware that I am strong, I am fit, and I am capable. I pulled myself under the bar and did not stand the weight up, meaning I missed my final attempt. I was not thrilled about my score on that part of this event, but I was thrilled at my firm and unwavering belief in myself. I was thrilled that in the heat of the moment, at the very end of a beatdown of a competition, I went for a PR in the middle of the arena. Some people say you win or you learn. I believe that through this competition, I won through my willingness to learn. I was the student of the competition, ready to run on with the lessons I received. This competition for me was not about the athletes to my right or left on the competition floor and trying to beat them. It was not about them because I cannot control anything they did in their training or their competition weekend. I can control myself. I have control over my thought patterns, how I act, and my managing of my emotions to the best of my ability. I know how my months of training were. I prepared as best as I could and no one could do that for me. Many times in our mental health and fitness, it's helpful to remind ourselves that if it is to be, it is up to me. If we are to improve ourselves and help others, which is what the Counseling and Functional Fitness Podcast is all about, it's up to us to do those things. No one can force us to improve ourselves or truly help others from a heart and mind overflowing with gratitude for the lessons we've learned. Stephen Covey, in his book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says, Private victories precede public victories. You can't invert that process any more than you can harvest a crop before you plant it. I walked off the competition floor with my head held high because I knew the private victories I had won during this competition, and I reminded myself once again that we learn through difficulty what we cannot learn any other way. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed the episode. You can follow along with Counseling and Functional Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. You can contact me by emailing counselingandfunctionalfitness at gmail.com or by messaging Counseling and Functional Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time.